0: All right, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for joining us today on From the Head of the Bed. This is Cassidy Paget. I'm actually here with Dr. Rose, one of the attending anesthesiologists here at Cosairs Children's Medical Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, first off, we'll go ahead and have Dr. Rose introduce himself, give a little bit of background information about how he ended up here at Cosairs.
1: My name is Walter Rose. I'm a physician that's been here at Cosaire Children's Hospital for approximately 24 years. This has been my first and only job since finishing my fellowship at Buffalo, New York, at the Buffalo Children's there. Previously, I did my residency in the Detroit area, and I went to medical school at Crooksville College of Osteopathic Medicine.
0: Well, Dr. Rose, we certainly want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk with us today. Dr. Rose is talking to us about a very interesting topic. Um, It's going to be a direct topic really quick to the point. The topic he's going to be talking about is pediatrics. Are they just little adults? very interesting question, and Dr. Rose has some very interesting information that he's going to talk to us about. He's going to describe and talk about all the things that kind of separate the pediatric population from the adult population. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and turn this over to Dr. Rose. Start out with a
1: hypothetical patient. Heart rate's 190, blood pressure is 60 over 30, 60 breaths per minute, hemoglobin's 19, the white blood cell count is 30,000, Potassium 7.5, sodium's 160. Is your patient in trouble? Well, it depends. But if it's a newborn, these are all normal values for a newborn. And yes, we do surgeries in newborns, and occasionally you have to do that. So here's some of the commonalities between adults and kids. We are, of course, the same species. We have the same basic anatomy. We generally use the same anesthetic techniques, same pharmacologic agents. Our goals are the same for anesthesia. And in some cases, you'd do the case, say, in an older teenager, exactly the way you would in an adult case. Some of the differences. Things tend to happen faster. Kids will desaturate much more quickly, and they will also resaturate more quickly. Their heart rate tends to be quicker. As far as your own personal skill, it tends to take a little bit more finesse to deal with the smaller airways, smaller veins, smaller arteries, and things like that. The physiology is different, especially in newborn patients, and we'll go over some of that in a little bit. Surgical procedures can tend to be more unique. For instance, you would never do a congenital diaphragmatic hernia surgery in an adult patient. You wouldn't repair a meningomyelocele in an adult patient. Certain things like this, you don't get necrotizing enterocolitis in an adult patient, generally speaking. All these things tend to be more of pediatric-type disease and surgical procedures. The anatomy changes as patients grow. We'll go over some of that here in a minute, too. And it makes it unique in using different blades for laryngoscopy and things like that. For instance, a straight blade is much more commonly used in pediatrics than is the curved blade. Psychological concerns tend to be different. And also, you're dealing with psychological concerns of the parents as well as the child and how those things interact. NPO guidelines tend to be somewhat shorter in younger kids simply because their gastric emptying times and things like that are quicker. The psychology we'll go over first. Fears are very important in both the patient and the family's minds. And the parents, depending on the outlook of the parent, he may or she may transmit fears or calmness to their child. In the first age group, newborn to approximately six months, there's very little fear. Most infants will go to a warm, smiling person without problems and will not have any sort of bad memory in their life of going off to surgery. From approximately six months to six years, the major problem tends to be The fear of separation. A good example would be the first day of kindergarten, the first day of preschool. The separation is one of the large fears in this age group. From approximately 6 years to 12 years, the primary fear tends to be what we term mutilation. In other words, am I going to be the same when I come out of surgery as into surgery? Now, children can be very cruel, especially to each other, and older brother may say something to the effect, of younger brother that's having a hernia operation, oh, they're going to whack your pee-pee off while you're asleep. And so kids are cruel, and so you get these sorts of fears when this happens. From 12 and older, the primary fear tends to be loss of control, and this is true in adults as well, you know. What am I going to say? You know, that teenage girl, and, and when they give me that relaxing medicine, will I tell mom and dad about my boyfriend? All those sorts of things, and those are all fears and how people respond to those fears and how you as an anesthesia provider responds to those things makes a difference. The patients can do a couple of things. They can be conformed to your wishes. Some kids tend to be very withdrawn and will climb in the corner of the uh, stretcher and put a blanket over their head Some kids tend to be depressed and anxious. This is particularly common in children with chronic diseases, including cancer and so forth. Agitation and aggression can be another sort of reaction, and these would include kids with behavior disorders. These would include some of the institutionalized children taken out of their usual environment and placed them in a strange environment, and some of their reaction can be violent or aggressive and can get very agitated. Strategies for allaying these fears can take many ways. First of all, as an anesthesia provider, and especially an anesthesia provider in training, you should act in a confident manner with a true plan. Don't wishy-wash. Just tell them what you'd like to do and make sure that that coincides with the attending's wishes as well. Talking to a patient in a way that they can understand. You don't speak to a three-year-old the way you'd speak to a teenager. You can answer their questions and concerns. Sometimes the concerns are very minimal, and other times they're very, very large. A small child may associate Grandpa going to the hospital and not coming out, and they're wondering if the same thing happened to them. This has happened to me multiple times. Explain what the parents need to know to their comfort level. You would probably not explain something, the procedure, and what you're doing to a family that the father is a lawyer and mother is a physician. You wouldn't explain the anesthesia the same way that you would to someone perhaps a little less sophisticated, such as an Amish person or someone who lives out in the country and doesn't have a lot of higher education. Explain what they need to know. Pharmacologic assistance can also be a huge help in children. These would include Versed, medazolam. Either we give it here, everything from by mouth, by nose, by IV. We've given it rectally a few times. It just all depends. It's a very good medication that has amnesia as well as sedation. One thing that a lot of people really forget as far as a premedication is narcotics, especially in children with, say, a broken arm or appendicitis where their pain has not been treated very well. If you treat their pain and get them comfortable and more tolerable, they're going to be much more able to follow what you wish and give you a lot less hassle as far as that goes respiratory system an adult compared to an infant or a child the head is relatively large compared to an adult very seldom will you see pediatric anesthesiologists placing pillows under a baby's head most likely were likely to place a towel or something under their shoulders their necks are relatively shorter their chests are smaller and their accessory muscles of respiration and their intercostal muscles are not very well developed, so their chest is very, very flexible. A large amount of air or material in the abdomen can severely restrict the movement of the diaphragm, and babies in particular are very much diaphragmatic breathers because that's all the real respiratory muscle they have. In babies and children, their nasal passages are smaller, and babies tend to be obligate nasal breathers. They can nurse and breathe at the same time, and you can't drink a glass of water and, and breathe at the same time. So that's one of the anatomical differences that adults and, and babies have. Their tongues are relatively large compared to adults. We find that sweeping the tongue to the side of the mouth is a much more effective way of intubating than pinning the tongue in the center because The tongue in a child and an infant is a relatively large muscle. The mouth is relatively small. Larger amounts of lymphoid tissue are present. This would include adenoids and tonsils primarily, especially when you're intubating. These things can cause airway obstruction. And if you're placing a nasal tube, sometimes you may do a partial adenoidectomy as you pass the nasal tube. The larynx tends to be more cephalad level of C3 in a preemie, C3 to 4 in term baby, and C4 to 5 in adult. So the larynx drops in relationship to the spine as things go. And I've taken care of babies that when they were screaming, I could see the top of their epiglottis. So it can be easier seen. Epiglottis in a, a child tends to be longer and stiffer and omega-shaped. And that's why oftentimes pediatric anesthesiologists especially will use a straight blade to lift the epiglottis rather than move the epiglottis out of the way as they place a laryngoscope into the molecular area. One thing that's very very important is edema in the airway. You never want an endotracheal tube that is too tight in a child. Generally speaking most people say you should have a leak at 25 millimeters of water or less and this is because irritation to the airway can cause edema. In an average size infant, the trachea is approximately 4 millimeters. One millimeter of edema reduces the internal diameter to approximately half or two millimeters. Your net cross-sectional decrease is 75%. So this is a large amount of net decrease. With an adult being approximately 20 millimeter being uh, the trachea, one millimeter of edema will be give you a net cross-sectional decrease of approximately 19%. This is one of the reasons why kids will get croup, and adults tend not to get croup, simply because their airway obstruction is much greater with the swelling in the airway than is it in an adult. Metabolic rate. The metabolic rate in a child is approximately two times the rate of an adult. What this means is that your medications can get metabolized much more quickly. Other thing is that children have a higher volume of distribution, so their amount of available drug is actually decreased, but they have less protein binding, which increases the amount of the available drug. So it basically, it kind of washes. So you just have to be careful, and if it's a neuromuscular blocking agent, follow your twitches, follow the respirations, whatever. The circulatory system. The heart muscle in an infant... Is not nearly as contractile as it is in an adult. It does not distend well. It does not follow Starling's law well, which is the more you distend it, the more it pumps. Cardiac output in infants and smaller children is primarily determined by rate. So that's why when a child's heart rate is approximately 60, they're very close to coding. Temperature control is another thing that's very important. It's one of the few things that has been shown to show an increase in mortality when patients get cold. Babies are environmentally dependent. They are dependent on the mother. They are dependent on warm blankets. They are dependent on bear huggers and other outside warming things. A naked baby can hold their temperature at approximately 88 degrees Fahrenheit. That's one of the reasons why pediatric rooms with infants tend to be so warm. Their surface area is greater relatively compared to adults, especially their head, which has a high cardiac output, approximately 25%. So all these things, their skin is thinner. They have very little subcutaneous fat to insulate them. They have poor vasomotor control, and what that means is they're unable to shunt their blood when they're cold to the central organs, and when they're hot, they're unable to bring it to the surface. They don't have adequate sweating or shivering responses, especially when they're newborn. Their normal heat regulation is by external things, which would be mother and the external warmings, and brown fat. Brown fat is metabolized in an anaerobic process, creating lactate, and this can further compromise your child should you allow it to go on too much. The reasons to not allow a patient to get cold, it increases the oxygen consumption, you increase your chance of metabolic acidosis, you have a depressed cardiorespiratory response, especially in in infants and children, and it also adds pharmacologic depression to the CNS depression in other words, your drugs become more efficacious or more powerful, especially in the sedatives such as the narcotics and the benzodiazepines. CNS physiology. The sympathetic nervous system is not fully developed in infants. In training, we did a lot of spinal anesthetics in newborns for hernia operations. And what we would do, would we would either sit them up or roll them on their side Put the spinal block in and then start the IV in their foot when they couldn't move. And the reason why you can do this is they don't require any sort of fluid loading because when you give the spinal anesthetic, there is no massive vasodilatation. So they are primarily more a parasympathetic animal. So their vascular tone is not kept particularly tight by the sympathetic nervous systems. Barrel reflexes and heart rate is more easily depressed by anesthesia, especially in young infants and children. Respiratory centers tend to be more easily depressed with narcotics, and hypoxemia depresses respiration in a newborn. So letting the CO2 go up to 60 will not increase the rate of breathing. It will actually have a positive feedback and decrease the rate of breathing. So you want to keep them near or just slightly above normal CO2s if you want them to breathe at the end of the procedure. laryngeal reflexes you're likely to get a spasm by noxious stimuli, especially in the airway, and children are much more prone to this than adults. The renal system is also not up to par in especially infants. They have the inability to excrete concentrated urine, so if you don't give them enough fluid, they still have their obligatory fluid loss, and their inability to excrete dilute urine. So they're unable to get rid of all that extra fluid that you gave them without getting rid of a lot of other necessary things. The glomerular filtration rate is approximately 15 to 30 percent of that of an adult at birth, but around the first week of life, it arrives at around 50 percent. Fluids are really important in kids, and not giving too much fluid is probably more important than not giving enough. For instance, would you give... A 100-kilo patient with impaired cardiac and renal function, 5 liters of LR, well, that's about the same thing of giving a newborn 2-kilo baby, which is about 4 and a half, five pounds, a 100 cc's of lactated ringers. And 100 cc's of lactated ringers can go in pretty quickly if you're not careful. So be careful, especially with fluids. Intervascular volumes are increased on a per-kilo basis in children's. Premature babies have an intervascular volume of approximately 80 to 90 cc's per kilo. Term babies have about an 80 cc intervascular volume per kilo. Children are about 75 cc's per kilo. Male adults are about 70 cc's per kilo. Females are approximately 65 cc's per kilo. The maintenance and giving drugs in the pediatric population is generally speaking, by weight, and you have to be careful not to overdose or underdose patients. Things such as TB syringes with small markings tend to be very important. Diluting things such as narcotics or muscle relaxants may be appropriate in smaller babies so you don't give too much. One of the things that is quite common in children as opposed to adults is regional anesthesia is usually done while they are asleep. We do caudal blocks, we do lumbar epidurals, some of my partners do thoracic epidurals while the patients are asleep, as well as peripheral nerve blocks. These are all excellent techniques for especially children, some infants, depending on what is appropriate for the child. So do not forget regional anesthesia in conjunction with a general anesthetic, especially for post-op pain relief in an infant or child. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rose. There's certainly a lot of great information there for all of us new students and CRNAs that kind of take to heart and tips and information that will help differentiate the uh, pediatric population from the adult population for sure. I did have one quick question. For a new student coming in or for a new CRNA coming in, what do you think is one of the most important things for us to remember in dealing with children as opposed to the adult world?
1: In dealing with peds, I think it takes a little bit more finesse, both mentally and physically. You're starting IVs in smaller veins. You're putting relatively larger catheters in relatively smaller veins. You're dealing with smaller airways. It takes more finesse because you're dealing with something smaller. The other thing is that it doesn't take as much strength to do, for instance, a laryngoscopy in a baby as especially an obese adult. The other thing that I really think that's very important is be careful of your medications and calculate your medicines. If you're new, check with someone with more experience if something seems not quite right. The old adage of the only stupid question is the one that isn't asked is very, very true in pediatrics.
0: That's very true. I can certainly attest to that myself doing a rotation here because there's a children's hospital. It does take a lot of finesse with these children. I was certainly glad to be part of that and be able to work on my finesse Well, lastly, I just want to say thank you for joining us and taking time out of your day. It's certainly been a pleasure having you here with us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.